Okay, one uh, last postscript from our discussion about Amalek, which we had over the past uh, week or two. We are discussing yesterday in the Shir about the Machoikis, whether they could be Megayer. Uh, the Rambam is so same. It says everybody can. It sounds like it's including Amalek, and there's a Machulta and other Makaris of Sikta, Tanchuma, that seem to say clearly that they cannot, to the extent that Akash swore that he wouldn't accept from Amalek. Some say a pshara that Machatchila, the Ramam agrees we don't accept, but if they came and there was a base in Shalom who did accept, then Bidyevit Eschal, if they, of course they were Makabal Mitzvahs. One more added Makara, similar Machlaikis, not necessarily Tali Zebazeb, but there are similarities. The Ramam himself in Hilchas Malachim, in Perik Vav Halachadalid, describes the various dinim of what to do with prisoners of war, what to do in Melchemist Ashurus, what to do in Melchemist Mitzvah. And the Rambam, you don't have this in front of you. Rambam says, In Melchemist Ashurus, if they didn't surrender, or they did, but they weren't willing to accept Zion Mitzvahs, not interested in making Gerim, but Zion Mitzvahs is a minimum. Can't have people living among us and Conquered countries, they're doing a and the like. So, women and children, only the uh, combatants, not even future combatants. This is a Mohammed Sashus. Listen carefully. Two examples of Mohammed's mitzvah. Sounds like from this Ramam, it's going to become very clear in the next line. The Ramam says, it's only Mechemes Ashus, but Mechemes uh, Mitzvah, if they weren't Mashlim, then it's a complete battle. Sounds like we sue for peace first, and if they want peace, then peace it is. We're talking about Zayin Amim and Amalek. Zayin Amim, had they accepted the terms in Makabal Zayin Mitzvah, they could stay in Israel. They didn't accept, and uh, Gergashi left, and then the Gevayinim thought it was too late, and then they tried to trick them. It really wasn't too late. They could have just come clean, and they didn't. Okay, that's a Chiddush to us. Amalek is even a bigger Chiddush. Amalek, before the shooting starts, can say... We're really sorry, really, really sorry. And we're going to be good and Zayimitzis and very from. So the Ramam knows that that's a surprise. The next line. And how do I know that we're only talking about those who weren't mashlim? They ended up conquering all of Israel and nobody made peace. Gergoshi left and the Gevainim sort of made peace the last minute by pretending they weren't the from the locals. Hashem caused them to harden their hearts in order to have them destroyed. Because the Baruch knew that they wouldn't be sincere and ultimately they'd just be a bad influence. So Hashem would rather them fight even though it didn't make any sense in order to have them destroyed so they don't stay. They sued for peace. They sent letters. The Ramah continues to discuss. Yeshua Benun sent three different letters on three different occasions. 
to ask them if they want option A, B, or C. Option A is to live in peace and be Makabla Zionists, and option B is to leave, and option C is to fight if you don't like A and B. And the Rambam doesn't bring any Rayath Mamalik, but he's assuming So the Rambam says, and how do I know it's only if they weren't Mashal? He brings a Rayath from Zionumas, but he holds it by a Malik as well. Which means uh, the Rambam sounds like they can be Megayer, that's a Shailah Lachachil Abedievet, but certainly in the context of Machias Amalek, he says that's only when the shooting starts, because then of course they're going to say, don't shoot, we are sorry. But before, they can be Mashlem, be Makabazai Mitzvah, and there's no Mitzvah Amalek. Why is that? They're not, they're not even converting over here, they're just not doing what Amalek does. So that's enough of Machias Amalek. They're no longer around doing what they did, so therefore there's no reason to get rid of them. So when so David HaMelech is sitting in his uh, office, I can't call it a palace yet, he's not fully king, but he was anointed already, and then the messenger of the Naramalaki comes and tells David HaMelech what he thought was good news, that the Shaul is no longer alive, and he even claimed he killed him, he finished him off, Shaila whether he did, Shaul asked him to, Shaila is, did he comply, or was he just boasting, and then David HaMelech uh, kills him. Why? So there's a big debate around this point. Uh, the Mechilta would hold that Davon HaMelech, and as a major says to the Befer, Davon HaMelech realized at this point that Amalek has no right to be a Megayer, and it sounds like even B'dyeved, and he said his father, he was a son of a Ger Amaleki, and he killed him because he was an Amaleki, and the Ger is apparently of his father wasn't Chal, so he's still an Amaleki. Not only can he be a Megayer, but it sounds like his father certainly asked for peace. As a Yechid, you could say that's a disqualification because the Ummah didn't ask for peace and the Yechidim aren't allowed to. And the Geras is also no good. And then he's an Amaleki and he killed him. And the Rambam says in a different place that it was a Harar Shah, not necessarily because he was an Amaleki. That would be perhaps the Shitasli. And he holds it, that it could be Chal. Uh, one second. And uh, the Rambam says that the Harasha was probably, doesn't spell this out, David Malach wanted to send a very strong message that if you touch a king, let alone kill him, even if he asks you to, you're in big trouble. And as a new king, that's a very good precedent to uh, drive home. So as a Harasha, he wasn't a Marib Malchus and David Malchus, but uh, he was in Shaul's Malchus, even though Shaul was mortally wounded and he was dying, and he, he asked him to, and he might have actually complied. Even if he was boasting, the harasha was to show the people that if you're claiming to do such a thing, you're already in trouble. Normally, Eno de Mesa Masa Marasha, which is you can't incriminate yourself. If he's a guy, Lamafreya, that the guy was never chal, so there's no din of Eno de Mesa Masa Marasha by a guy because the din in Kurva, and, and by and large, there's no psal Kurva by Goyim for Edis. So there's no din of Eno de Mesa Masa Marasha. Eno de Mesa Masa Marasha is not a din that you can't incriminate yourself, it's a din that you're a curve to yourself, we don't believe you. Mamela, that wouldn't, that soul korva wouldn't be a problem if he was a guy. And if he was a yid and the Gareth was chal, then it was a harasha. Those are the uh, quick uh, review of the options. But pointing out that the, the Rambam about the Gareth is one chiddish, he's not machalik, and it sounds like the Gareth is chal, even sounds like over here, it sounds like before the war, he can come and, uh, not he, but the, the nation or the representatives, or enough of them, or over them, can ask for peace, and then we don't have a chiv of Timcha Zech HaMolik in that case, which is the rivet over here, Beferish argues, and he says that there is no such thing. Zeshibush, Rivet says, Rivet always uh, has 
fascinating expressions. He says a total mistake, and Timchazeh uh, Hamalek means Timchazeh Hamalek, and we don't ask them if some of their best friends are Jewish, not before the war, and certainly not during the war. And the Rambam uh, disagrees. That's quite a machlekes, and see how this comes out in Lasa Lava. Yeah. So we discussed that yesterday, but there are two answers. Either it's Naaman, the gear says Naaman, which will answer everything, or it comes from the daughters, because if a daughter marries a Greek, they're Greek, the grandsons are Greek, it goes after the Zalcha uh, Bailim Asylum. Or, like the Ramam, that the Geras is Chal, either Lachatchila or Bedeevit, but it's Chal. Those are the three possibilities, but they do bring that as a riot, but the riot can be shlogged up in, with one of two answers. So. Um, it's a fascinating idea. We, uh, we Americans, it's, it's not a good thing. Uh, we we uh, spend our whole life, we're supposed to be spending our whole life trying to fit the mitzvahs into uh, our lives, not in a way where we have these preconceived notions and we see if the mitzvahs fit in. It's that we take our preconceived notions and we try to see what's compatible with Torah and what's not we get rid of. And it's this thing that we're supposed to be fitting our lifestyles with the mitzvah of and we find that difficult, but that's the, that's the Aveda, and when it's not compatible, we try to friend for it. So most people, and this is the way we conditions that, that destroy a nation, not appreciating the evil and the damage that Amalek represents, and that, no, we can't live a life where everybody's good, and it's your opinion and my opinion, and everybody's, uh, everybody's fine. There is, however, we automatically would gravitate to the Rambam over the Ravid over here in this particular Machlekes. Oh, Baruch Hashem. At least not a total, it's only if they're, they're acting like a Malay, but of course, if they're friendly. Okay, the Rambam seems to hold like that in this particular mitzvah. That doesn't, if there was no Rambam, then we'd really have to bend ourselves, but just be prepared. It could be a Pasan like the Ravid. Nobody really Pasan in their Shaila. And um, then the mitzvah is uh, challenging, and Sholem Melo found it challenging. And he had, Pesach says he had Rachmanus. That, that was a mistake, and he didn't even realize he's having Rachmanus. He, as we explained in the Drasha, felt I keep Agag alive, and it'll be a Kiddush Hashem, and I'll parade him around. And the Pesach already says what's going on in the subconscious is he had Rachmanus. Even though if you'd ask him, he says, no, it's not do the Rachmanus. I did the mitzvah, I did the mitzvah totally. I'm just um, I'm maximizing on the Kiddush Hashem. And then Shaul uh, didn't do it right, lost the kingdom because yellow case ka represents the fact that this is Hashem's throne at stake. So in the Midi-Kamidi, he loses his throne. It's pointed out by the Mepharshim. And he lost it pretty quickly, even though David Melech had other Averis, which sounded like they were larger in terms of the severity, but they were personal Averis. It wasn't Averis in his job description. Job description over here is you want to represent Hashem's Kisei Akavan on earth, you got to protect those interests. And Hashem, it's the only mitzvah, it's the only mitzvah, it says it's by my, my throne is not complete unless you finish this job. And then, one of the only Adamanapiyas in Tanakh is Vayishasef, we just learned this two weeks ago. The small four foot nine old Navi takes a sword and does it himself. Interesting application, we wouldn't think of that. We usually think of it in Kedushin, Makadesh, Ba'a uh, to, to actually take the sword, Vayishasef, you can, that's the, the beauty of an Anamapiyah, is that you can hear him uh, doing the Vayishasef. Uh, and that's, um, that's a mitzvah which uh, you have to put the Rachmanis, either uh, we would say put the Rachmanis in the background, Shmuel and would say put the Rachmanis in front and have Rachmanis on Klai Yisrael and the Kvay Chemayim and get rid of them. That's, that's Rachmanis also. But we don't. You know, we would have uh, an issue trying to acclimate to that, and that's uh, that's Avedis Hashem. 
is bending our personal desires, our personal to what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says is better for us, which is, and I'm like, yes, over you. So how do we, how do we reconcile the Rambam with the fact that Shul was ultimately punished for having such a promise? Because the war started already. This Rambam clearly says, Shaloi Hishlimu, before the war. As soon as the shooting starts, as soon as they're going to feel themselves endangered and defeated, of course, they're going to beg for mercy. That doesn't mean they're changing their colors or their stripes or their midas. Even the Rambam is made to them. Rambam, the Masmekel Shita here, is made to that. That's the difference. Yes? The Rosh discussed yesterday about uh, today that we can't know genealogically. The Dark Ten, we don't know genealogically who the uh, Malik is. You mean the, yeah, the Rosh that holds that anybody acting like a Malik uh, might be a Malik. There is a, Rosh not in print, but there's a Rosh uh, somewhere. And uh, quoted that says that we can add that to the list. It's the genealogical one plus the one who acts like Amalek, and the Amalek is not anybody who's not an anti-Semite. It's an anti-Semitism either to the degree they're willing to do it at their own detriment, they're willing to commit suicide doing it, like a homicide bomber, or the Nazis who pretty much at the end of the war were so obsessed with killing Jews didn't focus as much as they perhaps could have on the, uh, on the war itself. That's a telltale sign according to this Ged of Reb Chaim. The issue with the Nazis, somebody, we started discussing this last Shabbos, somebody asked me after davening, the Nazis had very secular anti-Semitism. It didn't sound like a mochama against the Kodesh Baruch Hu, and, and it's true. It's, it was the most vicious form of anti-Semitism that we can remember in history, but it, according to their official party line, there were always pictures and cases, plenty of them, where individual Nazis and Lithuanians and anybody else who would join them would go out of their way to torture from Jews who represented Torah. But the official line was, we couldn't care less, and even if you say you converted to Christianity through two generations ago, you're still going to Auschwitz and Kahavi. It didn't look like they were classifying it as a Muhammad against the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And it's a huge nafkamina there, because number one, is it considered Shas Hashmad? which Shasa Shmad as a whole, you can't change the shoelace, and you, you, there are other dinim involved, and you can't eat trade, and, and the stand-up sock was, it was not considered Shasa Shmad, even though individually they went out of their way to be extra cruel in Yom Kippur and give them an extra ration. But all those stories are true. That wasn't the official party line, and as a matter of fact, when the higher-ups found out about that, they almost got annoyed sometimes. Like, what do you, what do you make, the guys, uh, the guys just as Jewish, and get the, if they had Rahmanas on any quote-unquote Christian who claimed he was a Christian, they, they would get that we get angry. That's not our, where this is a race issue, this is a genetic issue, and, uh, and get rid of everybody. Um, the cooler there was, you could do a lot more when it's not Shas Hashmad, and Allah Lama was assumed not to be Shas Hashmad. And the second half came in is, does this really fit into Rab Chaim? Because there are two different issues, and what the Mechiyas HaMolek is, the Ramban seemed to say that the purpose of Mechiyas HaMolek is to defend Kfod Shemayim, because they had the audacity to attack La Yisrael, to tarnish HaKosh Baruch Hu's image that wasn't straight anti-Semitism. It wasn't a din of the Jews. It was din Akash Baruch Hu and the male of the Jews as his chosen people. But the interest was to start up a Kfod Shemayim. The Nazis, again, their official party line, and not they do Akash Baruch Hu because they weren't uh, very religious themselves in any form or fashion. And this was just a, a, a race issue. So then the question is, does that really fit into the Ramban's definition of what Amalek really stood for, what they were fighting for, and what our Mechias Amalek is all about? The Ramban brings down that Mechias Amalek is to be vengeful of 
the aspect that they attacked Jews and they did damage when they left Mitzrayim. That's more on the people themselves. And either it's Machlegis, the Ramam, or the Ramban, or they both agree that there are two aspects. And it's probably reflected from Bashalach and Kiseitzeh, the two aspects of what the Mechia, one Mechia Taka points to, and the other one is, remember what they did to you. And it could be it's both. And that would be an Afkamina over here. Can you really fit? Rabbi Chaim didn't comment on the Kvet Shemayim issue, what the underpinnings of the Mechia were. He just said if they're willing to commit suicide to do it, that's a sign that they're not regular anti-Semites. But here's a possible Nafkamina. Is it a Machlekes, the Ramam, the Ramban, or are they just giving two angles in the mitzvah? That's very important. So these are big Nafkaminas, La Allah, La Salava, we'll find out. These are huge Nafkaminas. Yes? It's hard to. That's what I'm pointing right. out. It's because, a, you know, Nietzsche was uh, you know, a huge anti-Semite, hated the Jews terribly, and that was the overall hashkafa. And it wasn't just, I'll phrase it, because they felt that Jews had put um, the Shebud on the world. You know, they took, yeah, they took over the banks, they took over the... So all that was the typical Nazi, Nazi propaganda. They said, you know, you made us weak. We're not war, you know, we're not the... We're not the, uh, the you put, you, you put, you imposed your morals and values upon the world. So that whole hashkafa is what they were against. Yeah, but did they, were they saying as Christians, they were still Christian, were they saying that we don't believe uh, in the whole hashkafa, you pushed on monotheism and a set of laws and therefore we're angry? That would fit with Amalek. Yeah, so is that what they, it doesn't sound like that. I, Doesn't sound I, like that. They they weren't religious, obviously. They were Sham Gemurim and the, of the highest order. But but they didn't start up, were they? they no, that wasn't their line. I don't think I, Yaakov can be Machria. I, I don't. Uh, they were against. It. I mean, they, they were against the whole. They, they hated the Jews for even having brought. Yeah, but they uh, should have hated the Christian. Wow. So they should have fought a Muhammad against the Christians. Also, they didn't. Clearly not. Uh, then it wouldn't have been... Again, you could say that therefore they, 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 they didn't fight against the Christians because that's a watered-out version, but they're really fighting against the Amalekites. Deep down, that's certainly true. But the Amalekites made that clear. They took the Brisbane, they stood up to Shemayim. They were clearly against any Ruchniyazdikin component. That was not the... The Nazi war was not against, uh, was not against religion. The communist war was against religion. That was not... That was not, uh, that was not the Nazi battle. It was... Uh, Hitler and Machshima was infuriated by the Olympics already when, who, Jesse Owen? Like, African-American is going to beat out my... It was, all about, it was a different... Uh, again, deep down, that's what was Ace of Sunday that was driving it. But during the war, this was an, a crucial Nakuda, a tremendous Kula, not calling it Shah Sashmat. We never had a battle against others that could say, so all that was a Shah Sashmat. This, as bad as it was in terms of the numbers and was not a was not a shasashmat according to this. And therefore, question is, would it fit in? Yes, it fits into the suicide notion of that part of Rab Chaim, differentiate them from other anti-Semites. The question is, was the whole thing a Malik material according to Rabban that it was a Muhammad against the Gashbaru, per se? I think Hitler himself was certainly a racist, and that's why the Jesse Owens thing was. Right, right. So the However, question is, what was the... Overall, anti-Semitism is what Unify. Yeah, but it was a good way to unify. But politically, political anti-Semitism is a great way to unify not anybody. Everyone was a Nazi. Well, I shouldn't say that, but I'm saying that so, the, 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 the overall, you know, build 
Yeah, Shaitanism, that's why I, t- I use the phrase secular anti-Semitism. I don't know if anybody ever coined the phrase, but that's an important phrase to this. I, it was more secular anti-Semitism than, uh, than religious fervor against the... Uh, religious yeah. roots. Yeah, Shaitanism, how is it manifesting itself over here? But that, that's, the, that's the question, by and large, not by the Yechidim. I have one question. Yeah. It's the Rashi. Rashi jumping into the hot bath and getting burnt. It wasn't intent. They, they, it's not intent that it ducked out of the way to get themselves killed. It was a fanaticism that even if they're going to get killed, they'll jump into the bath even though they know the bath is boiling hot and they're going to get burnt as long as they can cool off the, the image of a Kodesh Baruch It sounds Rashi. Rashi sounds like he's not saying that. Rashi, why does Rashi have to give the whole muscle with the uh, with the bath? What made Amalek difference? Rashi's trying to explain that we were attacked by many people, but nobody attacked us to their detriment. They attacked. They attacked when it was convenient. The Romans most of the time hated us and killed us, and once in a while they were friendly. Why were they friendly? When it was convenient, they were friendly. Uh, most of our enemies had that uh, logical quote unquote. Uh, uh, way of dealing with the Jews. The Nazis were, were blinded by what they were doing, and uh, uh, if a train was needed at the end of the war to get uh, help the war effort and it was going to a concentration camp, the, it went to the concentration camp. That didn't make any sense. Meissen showed that it was a new level, but I'm just. But their intent, who cares about that? No, the intent was the intent to kill Jews, certainly there. It was, the, it was the extent of it. So the intent of whether they were, they were shot. The whole thing is intent. If he, he says, make chont in Shabbos, and you tell him it's Shabbos, I don't care, make me chont. That's not Yarvayavar. If he says, if the government decree is make chont on Shabbos, but dafka, so Jews don't keep Shabbos, that's all intent, and that makes it Yarvayavar. The whole thing is intent. Yes, absolutely. That's, that makes the whole difference in Shas Hashemad, and when it's Hanal Satsma, the Gemara says that. Hanal Satsma is different. So, there's a lot more to say on this. It's, um, it's a very uh, deep topic, and we'll find out in Mitzvah Shem Lava. Go to your Divrei uh, Yamim. I want to introduce, as you have done before, their parallel narratives in Divrei Yamim with some crucial facts that the Rishayim on Malachim quote. And they quote so much that we're going to have to see it in Divrei Yamim first and then go back to Malachim and uh, get the context uh, the next king we're up to, if you remember, we left off before the Shevim, was Amatzio. Amatzio. And the good news is, I always like saying the good news at the beginning and the end. Bad news is in the middle. Uh, the good news is, he, as kings go, as a king of Yehuda, he was a pretty good person and a good king, and will actually go down in history as a good king. The bad news is, he's going to make some very serious mistakes, and it's going to take us a while to... Um, flesh out and discover where these mistakes came from because some of them look like tactical errors, both in battle, where it's usually used, and in his Mahalach HaChayim. Uh, when we finish, hopefully we're going to have an insight into another insight of the human nature and how mistakes are made and compounded. Uh, just to get the frame of reference, uh, the first time we're using this sheet, we will refer to this a lot. It's the best one I've ever found. I think you said you were going to take a couple home. So uh, this is uh, really a superb job. He actually has all the kings with their queens and their sons and the connections in the middle in a flow chart. And he has on the right side the Malchi Yehuda 1 through 20, the Malchi Yisrael 1 through 19, 
And we're going to refer to it because hopefully by the end of Malachim Beis, we're actually going to have a very clear picture of who's who. And when you see it in the Gemara, you'll be able to see that uh, these people really existed and really did the incredible things they did and the incredible damage they inflicted often. Take a look in Malchi Yehuda on the right side. So uh, just to get a frame a running jump, so to speak, uh, go back to number seven. She's pretty infamous as kings and queens go. So we started uh, not a half a year ago. We were up to Asalya, one of the biggest Rishantas of all time. She uh, seized power, Baruch Hashem. Uh, there was a wonderful uh, Kain Gadol and Rebetzin who were able to save Klayeso and get rid of her and put the young Yoyesh on the throne who started off and did uh, phenomenally well and then unfortunately went off himself. Number eight is Yoyesh, Yoyesh. Many of the kings have a hey uh, in their name, certain him, And right now, we're up to number nine, Amatio, who is Yoyesh's son. So, in Yehuda, as you will see, very much so in the coming Malachim, there's a zigzag of good, bad, good, bad. Uh, the positive news in the next few is that the bad didn't get that bad, and the rebound was decent, but it wasn't such a strong rebound, because the father wasn't a Russia gummer, and in this case, Yoyesh really went off. Remember, he, uh, after his Rebbe died, so the, the young whippersnappers came and uh, wanted to gratiate themselves, and they convinced him he was a god because he stayed in the Keshagadashim, or above the Keshagadashim, and he survived. And he started believing it and slowly went off and got involved in Avodah Zarah himself. But he had many good years where he did many good things. And in the younger years, uh, Amatio uh, was uh, at least looking at a malchus that was from in nature, even though got very confusing. And he was 25 when he was going to take the throne, relatively young, not as young as his father. And uh, his son, which I'm not going to get to for a while, number 10, is going to be the famous uh, Azaria Uzio, who's going to get Saras. Uh, the uh, blemish, uh, pun intended over here, was really the only big issue in his kingdom, he's not historically such a bad king. So we have a few in a row who were, they were professed to be orthodox, let's put it that way, uh, with big issues. Amatsia in the middle between Yayesh and Azaria were, uh, was probably the best of them in terms of not finding any real blatant Averas, although we're going to have serious issues. Uh, we're going to have one blatant Averas who's going to do over Azara, but it's a short-lived uh, lapse, so to speak. So with that context... Uh, let's go to the Pasuk and we'll see what unfolds. Perichav hey Pasuk Aleph in Divar Yom and Beis. We'll just begin now. Ben Esen v'chamei shana malach amatzio. He's 25 years old. V'esen v'tesha shana malach b'yishalayim. And he's king for 29 years. Pretty long, stable reign. V'shem imo ya'adan b'yishalayim. Always point out the mother's name in order to uh, know where he came from, because typically the kings have many wives. And this is refreshing. You don't find such a compliment. Spelled out very clearly. Wasn't 100%, but basically he did the right thing. If you remember, Yayesh was assassinated and he didn't run after the assassins to bring them to justice right away because he was relatively young and he had to stabilize the kingdom. And when he did, he tracked them down and caught them 
and he executed them, did not execute their children. Normally, if the king, especially the son, takes the throne, he's going to catch them and catch their children, cousins, uncles, and annihilate the whole family. Often for good reason, they were dangerous, and we don't know how dangerous the rest of the family is, and they're probably all in cahoots. You've got to prove that, though, and to his immense credit, the Pusik spells us out. And he used it, and he had no evidence that the parents, the children of the assassins, the cousins, the brothers, were in cahoots, and therefore he didn't execute them. And he didn't have any evidence on them. And he had plenty of evidence on the original assassins, not on the families. So they killed them. That's a nice, refreshing introduction. He uh, ran the kingdom, Kedasa Gadin, and he executed those who were supposed to be executed and uh, got off to a good start. He organized the army. He had uh, clear divisions and battalions, got the army together. Again, he's still on the king and Yudah Benyamin, but a very credible uh, fighting force and formidable and organized and good people. And he's fighting at the beginning a proper war. You'll see in a moment who he's fighting against. Again, following the Chomish. Doesn't say anywhere in the Midbar. The Midbar says Ben Esim Shan Mala. Doesn't say that's the Din of Darius, but apparently that was the Minig. He counted them. I'm assuming or pieces of pottery or whatever, whatever mutter way it was to count people. It's still a problem today. Take a census. You got to do it in a proper way. Doesn't spell it out, but uh, no reason to assume he didn't. And he found 300,000 Very healthy army, 300,000 strong. Nope. I'll give you a sneak preview. He's going to fight Edom. Edom conjures up in our mind Rome. Well, if it were Rome, maybe 300,000 would be a small number. Although it's not a small number at all in the ancient times. But maybe you can excuse what it's about to transpire he wasn't fighting Rome. Rome didn't exist. He's fighting Edom. Edom was a nation, constant thorn in our side, lived right at the border of Yehuda and Harseir, which is right in the next mountain range from Yehuda. You can go there today. And they were never very friendly. Asus and is Yaakov, and there was constant fighting back and forth. And they were attacking and pillaging and... He got the army together to finally put his foot down. He was now strong enough to do so, and he is doing what a Jewish king should do. A Melech Yisrael, I don't mean Yisrael as opposed to Yehuda, here's a Melech Yehuda, a Jewish king, should use the army to fight Mohammed Hashem. And fighting Mohammed Hashem is securing the boundaries and making sure that everybody's safe. And they didn't feel so safe with Edom around, and he's now, instead of the guerrilla warfare that was going on back and forth, he's now going to fight a major war in order to get rid of them legamri. There is no such din, even though Amalek comes from Edom. But he's going to try now to really put an end to this once and for all. And he has every right to, and more than that, more than that he has every chiyif to. I'm, I'm laying the groundwork over here, because he doesn't want to go in. This all sounds very hauntingly familiar. 
Uh, we have um, different branches of the family, not our cousins from Edom, but our cousins from Yishmael, on a certain strip near the water. And uh, it's constantly going back and forth and back and forth. And we try to do the international pressure. We try not to have the mother of all wars to finally get rid of the problem because we can't, because our hands are tied, even though there are people still saying, why don't we do that? And uh, unfortunately, Loyaleno comes with heavy casualties, constant back and forth and back and forth. And then we go in, we hit harder, and then it's a few years. And then, so he was doing this for a while. Been there, done that, and he wants to fight a war. So he's not uh, taking a battalion or two. He's getting the whole army together and 300,000 strong. And this should be more than enough to take care of the problem. He's nervous. Again, I'm not, we're not judging him from our vantage point. We're judging him from the vantage point of Akash Baruch and where the Pussy's going to say it. He has 300,000, and uh, he's nervous that's not enough. So he hires 100,000 mercenaries. Now, as you might know, we're going to answer this next week because I want to do a little pelleyets. When you hire mercenaries, uh, it's always a uh, very uh, dangerous and uh, calculated thing to do. Calculated in the way that, well, why do you hire mercenaries? You feel you don't have enough soldiers. I'm not even getting into Betachon and Amunah yet. You hire mercenaries, you're inviting soldiers from a different place to fight with your men. In the Revolutionary War, the British did it. It didn't work out very well. Baruch Hashem. Otherwise, I'd be speaking a different dialect. Um, <laughs> they uh, hire German mercenaries, and um, mercenaries don't fight that well because they're not fighting for the homeland. They're not fighting for the country. What are they fighting for? A quick buck. That'll only get you so far. So they'll fight, but um, number one, it's not a way smart people do it, and it was done in the ancient world all the time. And you need to fill, fill ranks, so you hire mercenaries. The good news you would think over here, he didn't hire Germans, and he didn't hire uh, Greeks, and he didn't hire, he hired Jews. From where? The Aserah Sashvatim. That's already a nice sign of a little achtus. He just sent a message. They weren't a constant war, Baruch Hashem. They, it was a cold peace, sometimes warmer, sometimes cooler. And he called them up and he said, can you uh, send me, uh, the problem is he didn't call the king, and we're going to get to that later also. He uh, called up, whoever he called up, he said, can you send 100,000 soldiers, three meals a day, with Shalashudis, and a good Kiddush, and uh, we daven, and, um, you know, why don't you come? We're going to have a battle, and it's not going to be that long. And I'm paying. Nope. What's wrong with that? I another 100,000 Jews. A lot wrong with it. Uh, Mr. Shem will pick it up next week. Let's go to the Peleyates. Go to page Kuflam and Bays. We began yesterday, Erech. We got two lines in, so we'll start again. Kuflam and Bays, Erech. Hinei Kalanyane Avedis Hashem Yisbarach. Shemalibo Haracha. You have to weigh, balance, measure mitzvahs. Now you'll say that's against our Mishnah Novus. Mishnah Novus says you should never try to get the value of mitzvahs, that all mitzvahs are important, and even the mitzvahs, Shadash Ba'akavov, got to be Mash of all mitzvahs. Certainly true. However, we have unlimited time, unlimited resources, and every mitzvah is important. The Zayar Kaddish says that one should try to do every mitzvah at least once in the lifetime. That's the source of many who try to do Shalul HaKain once. Shaila Apinigla, whether that's true, maybe if you don't need the egg and you're not looking for something for breakfast like scrambled eggs, maybe Dafka shouldn't do it. Why start up? Is it a Shaila Tzabal Chaim? Is it not? It's not Tzabal Chaim if there's a Ruchni Yisdik again. So if Apinister there is, then you have a right to do it, many hold. Uh, that's a shayla uh, specific to Shalur HaKain. 
Lamaisa, we try to be involved as many mitzvahs as we can. And again, this concept in the Zayar Kaddish is the mitzvahs represent a certain hashlama uh, and the guf, the Ramachevaram, Gidim, and they're represented by the mitzvahs. We try to get everything done at least once and more than once, and it's all true. With that said, on our day-to-day calculations, we get up every morning, we now have a shmorg in front of us. That's why we get up in such excitement. We jump out of bed. We have a whole day of mitzvahs here, especially on a, on a Sunday, as the Glam called. Uh, Yamrishan, as we call it, for our chukah same shir. We have uh, unlimited opportunities Sunday. Mamish, uh, legal holiday. Uh, especially if it's a Gaisha holiday and we take off, then it's mamish, uh, sticking it to the Odeh of Arazar. We take it and we're maktish every minute of it and we just, we're so drunk with the possibilities, Baruch Hashem, but so simple, we want to figure out what do we do first. So as you all figured out from the fact that you're sitting here, the first thing you do is you go learn. And the second thing you do is you go learn. If you didn't daven, you daven in between. And then you try to learn a few other Zadarm in between. And then when you're at your saturation point, you can't learn anymore, then you don't now play golf unless you want to play golf to exercise and relax a little bit, which is also part of the schedule. You have to figure out how much and how little. And then you look for other mitzvahs. Now, why do I say that? Because it says that in Shulchan Aruch. Talmud is connected Kulam. And if you have a mitzvah, this Eshelas is say Dechayim. You let somebody else do it who's not learning anyway. And when you finish learning, they never finish, but when you learned as much as you think you can learn, then you don't waste time. You look to do 50 other mitzvahs. Chesed and Staka and Kirov and all the other things you're doing. That's the general overview, but he now is going to go into detail. Erech el is the shots up and balance what you should do with your limited time and your limited resources. It's the same thing, How you spend your money, how you spend your time is a shayla. And the shayla can come up many, many times during the day and during the week, and it should, because every yid knows there are many mitzvahs, and just like we have shaylas how to do a mitzvah, you also ask the shaylas which mitzvah to do. What do I do now? What do I do? How much time do I spend on something? And if I'm doing something, is my Yetzirah pushing me from behind in order to get me to fall down on other mitzvahs? As I always say, from people, the Yetzirah never goes up to us, I hope. Uh, one morning, as you're about to get out of bed, said, Hey, uh, Shalimi, you want to do an Aveir this today? Well, which Aveir do you want to do this morning? That conversation's not going to go very far, we hope. So instead, as the Chavos Haimah describes, sometimes he gets behind us to push too hard. So he'll say, why don't you stay up tonight to say Tikkun Chatzot, which is if you're up, it's a Kavaldik Mitzvah, and then you miss Man Kriyashim the next morning. So that was all the Yetzirah was doing. Ah, he got you to do more Mitzvahs. The answer is, yeah, he got you to do more Mitzvahs now, so you fell apart later. So that's also part of understanding Erech, what's the value of what you're doing now, and what are the consequences, and what's going to happen later. I use that example as that's the example he gives. You can stay up very late doing wonderful things, sometimes even learning. And if it's without a cheshman of your schedule and you miss Mantilan, and Zman Kriyashma, and you didn't die with a minion, that's not good for the Jews. Interesting example. He says that sometimes you need a nap during the day. So is that the Yetzirah? The Yetzirah, it depends. If it's the, you don't need it, then it's the Yetzirah, you're going to waste time. If you need it, and without that, you can't learn later on, you can't you can't bench with the Kavan, and you can't do other mitzvahs, then that's the Yetzirah. The Chayim Yeh Loimed, 
Misnamneim nim, v'lo nim, tir, v'lo tir. And if you're learning, it's not what it could be, this bitl teira, be'eches of a kamas. Kamas is quantity. Eches is when you're falling asleep and you should schedule your day in a way where you can learn and push yourself. If you come to the best measures, you fall asleep, you get schar for coming. And if you're pushing yourself and you're about to go to sleep and you're falling asleep and you want to squeeze out a few more minutes, that's also gavaldi. But if you're constantly asleep, then you should figure out how to get the learning schedule in a way where you're more pumped, whether that be a coffee or getting more sleep. So I'll say, no, nah, I don't have time, I've got to do more mitzvahs. The answer is, well, sometimes it's to do a few less mitzvahs at night that somebody else can do and get more sleep so you can learn better the next day. It's part of these difficult chashbenes. It's like a business deal where you're saving yourself one dollar and spending four doing it. You gotta come out at the end of the day with a net gain. And uh, again, with front people, he's only talking to front people, they're always grabbing more and more at the cost of their schedule, their time, and their sleep. And that's Gavaldic, and the intent is Gavaldic, but you have to assess your schedule periodically, like every day, once a week, to see if uh, it's the law of diminishing returns or you're actually gaining the overall schedule. And it's not good if you're being Ravich Mitzvah and losing him anymore. Which means you shouldn't be Masid a dollar for a small change. Salsalanta was asked at the beginning of the Musa movement, people are tiny, it's going to take away from the schedule. He said, if you learn 20 minutes of Musa, you'll find out you have another hour to learn. So there's a lot to be said for that. And then you have to know when you're Overdoing one area at the expense of an area that you might need more. It doesn't the Hilchah Shabbos. Shabbos comes once a week and he's learning more Hilchah Shalul HaKain. And that might be Atzah Seyetzer. It might be better to go to the Hilchah Shabbos to figure out what's going on. And Panay Maskim Ima Yechaz Bezev If you have enough time, Avadi, you should spread it around and do as many mitzvahs as you can. That is the introduction. And Mitzvah Shem will continue on Shabbos.